Thanks for pressing play. In many circles, chess is viewed as the ultimate display of intellectual might. Because when you think about it, chess is a fighting game that is purely intellectual. And it excludes all chance. There there are no dice to roll, no cards to play, or anything along those lines. And so, in a very real way, chess is pure intellectual fighting. And in the world of chess, Garry Kasparov stands alone. He's the Muhammad Ali, the Michael Jordan, the Serena Williams, or the Wayne Gretzky of the game. At 22, he became the world's youngest chess champion. And from 1984 until his retirement in 2005, Garry Kasparov was ranked the number one chess player on planet Earth for a record 255 months over his career. And Gary also became famous for having the guts to compete against an IBM supercomputer in 1997 and actually lose. However, Gary went out on top in his career. You see, when he retired as a professional chess player in 2005, he was ranked number one in the world. Today, he's a political activist and an outspoken critic of Vladimir Putin. Gary is the chairman of the Human Rights Foundation And he's the author of a bestseller called Deep Thinking, where machine intelligence ends and human creativity begins. In addition to all of this, he's also working with a few advanced technology companies. And that's how I got to meet him. You see, my longtime friend and sometime work colleague, Steve Pratt, who's the founder and CEO of Noodle.ai. And he was actually with us on a prior episode of Follow Your Different, number 139. Check it out with Steve Pratt. So Steve Pratt has actually now started working at his company with Gary. And so we thought it would be cool to have a conversation, Steve and I, with Gary about everything from the relationship between humans and machines, the origins of C-19, how he became, as he jokes, the first knowledge worker to have his job taken by a computer, (laughs) and why he's optimistic about the future, about technology, and much, much more. And pay special attention to Gary's comments about what he calls moral duty and, quote, making a difference. You're listening to Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. Neil Perlberg calls us, quote, the worst business podcast, end quote. And Podcast Magazine calls us, quote, the best business podcast, end quote. No matter what you call us, we are the number one dialogue podcast for people who care about real, different business conversations with the people making our world a different place. My friends at NetSuite from Oracle are the world's number one cloud ERP system. To build a legendary foundation for your business, visit netsuite.com slash different today. That's netsuite.com slash different. And my friends at the, uh, at the, <laughs> my friends at the wonderful company Splunk, S-P-L-U-N-K.com are the leaders in data to everything. Learn how to turn data into doing today at S-P-L-U-N-K.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. And Malibu Milk is the world's first whole plant organic flax milk. And I love it. It goes great in smoothies, in cereal, and even white Russians. Check out Malibu Milk with a Y.com today. And if you're not reading Category Pirates, visit Lockhead.com and uh, hit subscribe. Because Category Pirates is kind of like um, the Harvard Business Review if it was written for and by pirates. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go. 
So, uh, Steve, Gary, it's great to see both of you. Uh, just, you know, I wanted to say that, you know, this is the, I think the first one who just described this phenomenon, I think, was George Orwell in his essay. I think it's poetry and the microphone. When he talked about the effect of reading poetry on radio, where, you know, you have an audience of one because it's each listener, and maybe small groups. But this is it's such a shift from, from the big, big audience where you have people, you know, some of them could be bored and just upset. And, and to winning the audience is different. But microphone, you know, offered new possibilities. Now, here we are. <laughs> here we are. And it's great to have this time with both of you. Yes. Uh, how are you, gentlemen? Uh, it's a great day. Uh, yeah, great. great it's, yeah, it's a, I'm sure great day in, in California. And it's, it was a great day here in Croatia. A bit hot, but you know what do you expect in 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 July in Croatia? Beautiful. Everything's opening up. It's it's strangely strangely strange to see like walking into a grocery store without a mask and like feeling strange. Like going out and like I actually went dancing on on Saturday night. It was awesome. Are you an awesome dancer, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie, the movie, the movie Hitch, like that's that, that's me. Like I stay in my like in my zone, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so no, no, I'm not, I'm not an awesome dad. Well, I, 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 the awesome part is I enjoy it so much, but I, I love dancing. It's opening up in America and in Europe, but the rest of the world, you know, just it's it's going through a very different yeah. experience and. Uh, and uh, yeah. you know, then we received news from Russia, and it's just you know, it's so bad, so bad. I just you know, statistically, you know, just yeah, look at look at my family and my friends, and this is that's the 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 numbers are just you know, are just looking worse and worse. And why do you think it's not going well with the virus in Russia, Gary? Because you know, because Russia is a totalitarian state, and uh, the sta the totalitarian rulers don't care about the citizens. And also, it's we know from history that uh, the innovative power of uh, undemocratic states is cannot be compared to to the power of the free mind. It's not a, an accident that the virus came from China, but the response came from the United States. And now, when you look at the at the vaccines, vaccines that save what save lives, not you know Sputnik type, you know that's that nobody can check. So. Um, uh, and that's being advocated in Russia. But Russian people don't trust. It. If you want to understand what is the level of trust by Russian people to the government, you look at the, at the level of vaccination. It's under 14% as, as we speak. And considering that more than half of these people have been forced to be vaccinated because they are in the army, in the police, or in, uh, in, in state-run run enterprises. So you're talking about something like, something like 6 7% of, of trust, of people who trust the government. And um, and Europe is getting better when it, 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 yeah, because it, it receives you know American made vaccines. And when you look at the at the global map now, all the countries where you have uh, American vaccines, you know they're just doing better and better. AstraZeneca, mm, yeah, improving. But the other the other countries, even countries, look at Chile. I mean, they, they had a, the level of vaccination up to sixty percent, but most of this was was Chinese. And or Seychelles Islands, they had a mixture of Chinese and Russian vaccines. It doesn't work. And again, that tells us that the power of the free of, of the free mind is has been vastly underestimated. And uh, again, talking about uh, um, uh, my cooperation with Noodle AI, that's very important, you know, to understand. It's not just the power of invention; it's a power of distribution. In Russia, you know, they cannot even distribute it. 
It just, you know, even this Sputnik, you know, just for whatever it takes, it's still a vaccine that can save lives. But, you know, even people who would like to be vaccinated, they just, you know, they, 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 they're facing total collapse of the system because system is not ready to, to, to take on this challenge, which is, okay, I wouldn't say elementary, but this is not, you know, this is not rocket science. So it's about distributing vaccines if you have enough of them. We're not sure whether they have enough of them, but even if in the places where they have enough of them, they cannot make a proper distribution. I read stories, you know, from Russian uh, cities, even big cities like Moscow and St. Petersburg, but even, you know, but going beyond that in the countryside, it's just one disaster after another disaster. And that's, you know, tells you, you know, how these, the centralized system, the, the state-run capitalism as so, so much admired by some of um, left-leaning people in, in, in America or in Europe, so how it does not work when it's being met by by a new challenge. And are you saying the vaccine, the Russian vaccine itself doesn't work or the rollout of the vaccine doesn't work or both? Actually, both. Yeah, because it's the I'm not an expert to tell you it doesn't work. But the problem is, unlike even Chinese vaccine, Russian vaccine, you know, does not have data that you can analyze. That's why it's still being, you know, contemplated by European authorities and others. I know that Brazilian regulator flatly rejected it. Again, to check whether vaccine is effective or not, you need data. And Chinese vaccine, Sinovac, presented the data. I think it's the, it was very, it's lousy. But uh, WHO eventually pushed it slightly over 50% to give it a green light. So we know that it's at, at best it's 50%, probably it's even low. But again, it could be effective. With Russian vaccine, we have no idea. Again, I believe it might save lives because it's probably you now just built you know, on, on certain knowledge that uh, it's, you know, it's a common place. And people say, experts say that it's similar to AstraZeneca, whether they stole it from AstraZeneca or just you know, had the same school of thought, I don't know. But AstraZeneca had data, which is, again, not as impressive as Pfizer as, uh, and Moderna, but at least you know exactly you know, the, the effectiveness of AstraZeneca. So in Russia... We, uh, we don't know how to check it. We don't know whether Putin used, because he was vaccinated, used uh, Sputnik. He, uh, y- yesterday, uh, uh, he actually he said he did, but it took him two months you know, to confess that it was uh, Sputnik. And I think he lied, as he did many times already, uh, on, on even much more important issues. Uh, but even people who would like to be vaccinated, they, they are struggling, you know, just to, to, to get into just into the right place at the right time. There are long lines and, and uh, we, don't, we don't even know if Russian pharma industry is capable of producing enough vaccines for, for, for Russia itself, not speaking about the rest of the world, because uh, Russia, Russian government tried to promote Sputnik as the ultimate cure against COVID and made many contracts with, with countries where you know, regulators were not... Uh, uh, willing to um, to put a scrutiny test on it, but so far, you know, it it failed both domestically and internationally. And so, do you think we need to prepare ourselves for a spike in in loss of human life in Russia from the virus? And obviously, do you think the virus is going to continue to grow? Look, I lost my mother to COVID last December. Uh, in my family, almost everybody got COVID. Just you know, when the when the program was recorded, so that's on that day. So. I had news that uh, my long-term coach and friend, I worked with him for 10 years, died at age 56 from COVID. It's the, again, the numbers are just horrendous. It just, I, and, and I look at, at my, you know, my family and my inner circle, people that I knew, and they, they didn't live in slums. So they, just, they, they had access to, to 
proper medical uh, uh, treatment. And again, I said, is this my son who lived in Moscow had COVID, my, all my aunts, uh, my uncle. So this, it's, okay, few of them died, including my mother, uh, which was absolutely tragic. So, but if we had so many cases inside this circle, imagine you know, what's happening in the rest of the country. So uh, Russia today, official numbers, it's for the last uh, few weeks, 20,000 plus number of new cases. 20,000 plus new cases. I probably know this, these numbers are much higher because, again, they, they've been lying all the time. But they tried to keep it uh, under 8,000 for, for several months. Russia had the only country where you see this, the, this almost, almost the flat line with number of cases, which is just, you know, doesn't work statistically. But the fact is that now they cannot hide it. And with reports that we're reading, you know, uh, from Russian free internet, it just tells you that it's it's uh, the situation is uh, is is disastrous. And the the bureaucrats they they don't know what to do. They just don't care. The central government all of a sudden, you know, pretended that it had to be done by the regions. But that's that's the way this any dictatorship works. Because when it's a disaster, it's they they try to 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 uh, defend themselves against potential criticism. And and the ire of the of the big boss. Well, Gary, first let me say I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your mother and your coach. Yeah. So that's the you know, I I I I think we were, I was lucky that I could stay in Croatia for ten months. So we here we got vaccinated. So I sp- stayed with my, my, my wife, my twelve of our kids here and uh, and my mother in law and so and um, my my wife's brother. So we, we fortified here in Croatia for ten months. And eventually got got vaccines. And uh, again, I feel safe now. But but going back to the big picture, yes, the world is opening up. But this is not the last challenge, because it's 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 very clear that you know in the globalized world we'll get not only benefits of globalization but also the downsides. Earlier, you said something fascinating that I'd like to circle back to. Maybe in this regard, you said something to the effect, Gary, that um, of, of course this started in China. And, and got re- resolved in the United States or something along those lines. Could you sort of elaborate on sort of your thinking about this, this virus originating in China and, and major U.S. corporations uh, coming up with vaccines? Look, you know, it's, uh, we don't know how the, 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 the virus, you know, escaped the lab, but I don't think that today there's any other viable version uh, of viable theory. So you don't think the original theory of uh, it just jumped from bats to humans in, in a wet market? You don't buy that? It's the, it has zero evidence. And this theory has been promoted by people who had direct interest of covering the, the, the lab because all of them, all of them, and we have a long list of them, have been directly connected to the lab. By the way, the lab, you know, was not just Chinese lab. It lab that had, had American finance and has been built by French. It was that international program. It's this, and the reason it's, it's most of the research shifted to, to China was due to the fact that in 2014, I think, Obama administration banned this kind of research in the United States. Trump administration reinstated it, but it, the lab was already in Wuhan. It was the only four, uh, okay, level four protection lab in, in China. And again, it's, just, it's a long story because this, is, this research started, I think, in the late 90s. Uh, by the way, American scientists pioneered it. Uh, and then, you know, then they came up with all these, you know, synthetic viruses and the, the spike, this whole idea of having this spike, you know, have been uh, trumpeted as a big success in 2015 by the group, international group that was led by the Batwoman, 
by Abashi Jin Li, the Chinese scientist who was the head of this lab. And uh, again, it's just, it's, we don't know yet because China, Chinese government, as every dictatorship, was very good in covering up all the traces and uh, probably will never get you know, 100% proof. But the zonic theory you know, failed to come up with, with any tangible proof, evidence, uh, that you know, it, came, it came from, from the animal, animal world. While you know, we had more and more evidence that it, was, it escaped from the lab. But I don't want to speculate whether it was intentional or not. I think most likely it was an accident. But the fact is that in any case, China had a tremendous uh, uh, um, head start because they already had data. And they could come up with, you know, with more, you know, uh, research before American corporations, you know, uh, would learn anything about the, the, the virus. But at, we, we know what's happened in 10, in 10 months. In 10 months, America had two working vaccines. Now, actually, two more, you know, uh, joined the field. And an effectiveness of Chinese vaccine is very questionable. So, again, it's very important to recognize that, you know, it's this the free will. When we lift all the restrictions on risk. It's you know it could could uh, could uh, uh, realize the wildest dreams, and somehow I think the pandemics served us well because it proved that we have to go back to the spirit of you know innovation and uh, and become pioneers to be, to become explorers. Uh, probably it's not surprising that uh, Elon Musk and NASA had great great. Uh, uh, reported great success on sp space exploration in, in the year of, of pandemic. Uh, but what's important, again, the free world has potential. And now this potential have been you know, exposed in a positive way. Yes, uh, very well said. Thank you. And the other thing that um, I th think hasn't gotten enough attention is when uh, scientists and governments and corporations across the world come together, something magical happens. And this is, you know, we, we hear a lot in the United States of bitching about how incompetent the government is and so forth and so on. The reality is, yes, there were problems. Yes, there were mistakes made. Of course, we, none, we understand that. However, private and, and, and public partnerships were what enabled this to happen at this speed. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we could go all the way back to the 60s. You know, the, uh, the program that has been established by, by President Eisenhower as a response to, to Soviet Sputnik, the, the Soviet, first Soviet success in the space. And, uh, and it led to creation of NASA and then DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. And then it was boosted by, by JFK, who talked about um, uh, uh, moon landing. So that was a clear case when the government put resources and you know, the private business responded. And now we see this as that it, it all happened not in many years, but in just in, in less than a year. And it's very important that in this alliance, you know, call it, you know, augmented, call, uh, augmented alliance. So the government is not, you know, taking the lead. Government basically throws the ball and, and, and the corporations play. Because in Europe, we had a similar scenario, but the government tried to come up with tons of regulations. And look at Europe. They have, they have major corporations. I don't want to name all of them. French, you know, Swiss, Italians, Germans, and... So continental Europe failed to come up with a single vaccine. So it's very important that American model that, that empowers corporations and it gives them chance to go beyond, you know, uh, noble risk. Because typically, you know, just when you go back to you know, 10, 20 years, so oh, all corporations were scared, stiff, you know, to do any research on vaccines because 
you know, one one failure out of a thousand, you could be out of out of business. And now they recognize that ninety percent, even eighty percent, even seventy percent of of effectiveness works. And look at the look at look at the results. So I I think it's it's very we are facing a very important um, turning point. Called a milestone in the history of of our civilization, that when you know we recognize that we have so much power in our hands, thanks to computers, thanks to all these devices, and all we need now is to free human minds, so to give us freedom to operate. And again, there's so many resources in the world, and if we find a way to correctly, you know, distribute them correctly, you know, just to put you know all these elements together, it's you know it's like a Lego. We have all the details available. But it's for us to actually build something nice and something tangible and something that lasts. Yes. And I think one of the things that's been lost in a lot of domains is, of course, this breakthrough that we've had would never have happened without information technology. And frankly, would never have happened with what most of us today call artificial intelligence. And so I'm curious, there's so much that gets talked about and you get referenced a lot in this regard of sort of... Uh, humans versus machines, right? And then there's fear of the machines taking over and this and that and the other. And then there's fear about, you know, who's smarter when we put the greatest champion in the world up against a, 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 a essentially a robot, a computer, what's going to happen? This whole debate about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. So I'd actually love to hear from you a perspective on uh, what you think the, if you will, the collaboration between a human and machine to get to the answer that we've gotten to on both the creation and the distribution of the virus. What do you think that means about this whole broader discussion about human and uh, artificial intelligence? I think it's just, you know, we, we just, you know, we, we have to be realists, you know, and, um, I think it's very it's 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 very dangerous for us for for uh, our psyche to uh, to be overwhelmed by the army of doomsayers who are predicting the end of humanity and uh, and the dominance the, the the dominance of machines the new era where hum- humans will be slaves or we have no no room at all um, because th- this this is not a shred of evidence is happening. It's the, the whole story, you know, that's about superintelligence or singularity. Again, it's based on assumptions that are not founded. But Gary, sometimes when people's when some people's Roombas go nuts in their house, they're afraid the machines are already taking over. Taking over what? I mean, that's again, it's just, you know, it's, those it's, home it's, vacuums. I was trying to be funny, but I clearly oh, it clearly oh, no, no, didn't work. You know? no, no, no. But it's the, but it, it it helps, you know. No, no, it's not, it's look, you know, the, the problem is not with the machines. The problem is with bad humans that can use these machines to harm us. That's, that's, that's a story of technology. Look, you know, it's this, uh, we're not, you know, seeing some kind of a phenomenon that was new, that is new. Because when I go back to a couple of hundred years, all, all these farmers that, you know, that they had to move from, from the countryside to the cities because of the industrialization, I mean, they were terrified. The, the Luddites movement in, in, in the UK, in, in, in Britain, you know, was not, a, was not an accident. Just people saw machines as enemies. So it's not, it's not you know, it's not something new. I mean, this is the, the first, you know, prolific speech against, against machines and against the, the danger of industrialization was, uh, was d- delivered in 1812 in the House of Lords by no one else but Lord Byron. It's just, you know, bl- blasting the machines that are just, you know, leaving poor people, you know, just die, you know, die from hunger. 
So it's not new. And then you had the same story with with uh, with mechanical labor. So then the uh, the consumer economy, the the service economy, and deindustrialization. So that's pushed people, you know, from manufacturing. We're talking about tens and maybe hundreds of millions of people that had to relocate. So now the difference today is as you are talking about machines threatening the domain uh, of people uh, with uh, Twitter accounts, college degrees, and pe- that. Those who have time to write to their congressmen, yeah, it's but it's the same this the same um, process. It's the same algorithm, and uh, and I believe we are just looking for just more opportunities because there's so many new jobs being created. Yeah, these jobs being lost. That's 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 what that always happened with with uh, with new technology. First, old industries being threatened and then destroyed, and then you know we we saw you know the, the transition. Does it mean that all people, you know, uh, will 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 immediately benefit? No, but that's what we we should not cry over spilled milk, but we should as think how we can make sure that you know the transition will be less painful. Maybe we should talk about UBI, universal basic income, or other things. But we should get creative. And speaking about AI, it's just you know, as someone you know who was the first knowledge worker having his job threatened by a computer in 1997. So I can tell you. <laughs> Yeah, it's look. It's yeah. You can again. You 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 can you can kick you know yourself you know uh, 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 into your head. You know you can just cry. It's the but at the end of the day, you know it's you should think what's next. And while I knew in 1997 that I I was still capable of playing and probably beating a computer, I played a few more matches, less publicized. You know, in the next few years, but I knew that the end was near. The end of the competition. I think that's that's it's a very wrong. Very wrong uh, uh, concept that, oh, we have to compete with the machines. You cannot beat them, join them. That's a very, that's a very simple formula. I'm not, you know, I'm not just uh, opening, you know, just uh, uh, something, you know, just that's uh, it's sensational. It's, it's what you should do because I knew that. So I, I hate to interrupt you, Gary, but you, at some level you're saying you knew that, that ultimately Deep Blue would win. Not Deep Blue. Deep Blue is, look, Deep Blue is compared to even the chess app in your mobile device. It's, it's not as good. And uh, now computers that, uh, when, I sp- when I say computers, I'm not talking about specialized hardware even, but you, you just take uh, a chess engine and download on your laptop. It's much stronger than Deep Blue. So can you beat, can you beat your iPhone in chess right now? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think if you played the, your iPhone in chess right now, you think that iPhone... I, I don't have an iPhone. I have, I, have, I have Android, but it doesn't matter. If you have... Whatever, no, yeah. I, I, it, un, unlikely. If you play on the top level, unlikely. Unlikely. And of course, if, wow. you, if, you, look, if you look at the, at, again, at, at your laptop and the chess engine that you can download there, it will crush Magnus Carlsen, the world champion, you know, just uh, handily. It's just there's no competition. The difference between this, the, 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 the chess engines today, and I'm not talking about something specialized, just, you know, it's just the chess engines that you can buy and download on your laptop. And Magnus Carlsen is about the same as between Usain Bolt and Ferrari. Now, why is so? And that's that's an important question. People say, ah, this is the end. Computers can beat us in chess. Yes, you're going back to the early days of computer science, and you look at the founding fathers like Alan Turing, Claude Shannon, Norbert Wiener. They all believed. They did believe 
that for machines to win against the best human players in chess, that would be the ultimate test for, okay, they didn't know what artificial intelligence, the term was not coined yet, but yes, it's, an, you know, machines, you know, could be, could be considered intelligent. But they believed that for machines to win, they had to be intelligent. They had to think like humans because they couldn't imagine this massive brute force. They didn't know about Moore's law. They didn't think that you know machines could you know could be so powerful. And by the way, today the the device that we have, you mentioned this is the our phone. It's thousand times more powerful than the Cray supercomputer that was considered in 1976 or 77 one of the one of the um, uh, wonders of the world. A thousand times more powerful. So it's now we can forgive founding fathers for not thinking that the brute force would be enough. But now, why brute force is enough? And that's very important. This is the key in our relations with, with computers. Because machines make fewer mistakes. That's it. It's not that machines perfect. Nothing is perfect in this universe. Nothing can, uh, can uh, reach out 100% perfection. It doesn't have to. So that's why the story is, oh, the driverless car had an accident. Of course it had an accident because it's statistically... Something should happen if you have more driverless cars. Yes, there will be accidents, and God forbid, some people will die. The problem is when you look at the human side, 40,000 people or so being killed in America every year on the roads because of human mistakes. So the moment we recognize that all we're looking for from the computers is to minimize the number of mistakes, that's, you know, that's the key of understanding how to work with computers. And that's why any game, chess, Japanese chess called Shogi, Game of Go, video games like Dota or StarCraft, Texas Hold'em Poker, any game that can be described as a closed system, it will be a machines-dominated domain. That's no question about it. But there's not a single shred of evidence that machines can take information from one of these closed systems, from one of these domains, and transfer it elsewhere. That's where the humans could play an, uh, um, a vital role. Actually, we're, in, we're indispensable. And that's why, you know, when people say AI, I always tell them to be very cautious with the term. It's not just artificial intelligence. And in the article that I wrote with Professor De Kramer in Harvard Business Review, you know, I, I you know, coined these, these three things. AI, it's, AI one is artificial intelligence. It's a machine. AI two is authentic intelligence as humans. But the key of this future success for our collaboration is augmented intelligence for the sake of argument called AI3. This is bringing together massive brute force and human intuition and human creativity. And for us recognizing that we may belong to last few decimal places in this, in this collaboration. You know, that's, that's you know, very important recognition of the fact that we don't have to do things as good as machines in 97% of cases, 96, 98, you name the number. But all we have to do is basically to make sure that, you know, this massive brute force is like, you know, that's a very powerful uh, uh, gun, you know, it just looks at the right direction. So doing a fine tuning, that could make all the difference in the world. And is that ultimately what you see the role of humans as, is the ability to fine tune -tune these closed systems in a connected way? Yes. I think that's that's and, and by the way, it sounds easy, but it's 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 very difficult because if you have it, it a was computer, relatively easy to say. <laughs> exactly, it's, no, it's easy to say, but exactly, you know, you have a, a machine, you have a task, and you have a human, 
And you have to understand exactly what this machine, this machine, is missing for this problem. And what, what you, human, can actually add to the game to make sure that the combined power of human and machine will be as close as possible to 100% for this specific task. By the way, the tasks could be different. The targets could be different. Uh, and that means that you will always have to be creative by recognizing that you just have to add other elements of human wisdom, of human creativity, to make sure that computers will, you know, will move in the right direction. So, so Gary, the, the, one of the favorite things that I've heard from you is, is when you talk about the quote from Picasso about, about the problem with computers. Maybe you can talk about that. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's, yes. I, at my presentations, I always bring this quote from Pablo Picasso because sometimes I say we need to look for, for art, for artists, you know, to offer us a piece of wisdom, even if we, if we talk science. And uh, he said, you know, computers are useless because they can only give us answers. Uh, you can uh, argue in Spanish, he said machines or computers. He, just, he said computadores, but it's, he didn't know what machines <laughs> were. But, uh, but they, it's, 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 a, it's a real piece of wisdom because you know, as, an, as an artist, great artist, he knew that you know, the questions are a beginning. And to reinvent yourself, you always have to ask questions. Now, people say, ah, machines also can ask questions. Yes, they just simply don't know what questions are relevant. Right. And there's so many experiments you know, that they can tell you that machines don't know where to stop collecting data. Because, you know, they just, that's what they do. Machines can recognize patterns. Machines can know the numbers, but they don't know what numbers matter. Right, exactly. And I, and I think you talked about applying AI to closed systems, right? So if it's chess or Go or defense of the art, right, Dota or, or anything good to go. I think the, the exciting part is when you start applying AI to open systems, like to real world problems. And, uh, and I'm, the reason I'm excited about AI and I've dedicated this part of my career, right, in, to it, it noodled. AI is that is that it's it can solve some of the world's most complicated problems. I mean, we talk about like supply chain, the distribution of 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 the of the vaccines that we've talked about, or the distribution of toilet paper, right? That that during during the pandemic or anything that that this is these are really complicated problems, and and they're but they're open systems, and it does require a human to figure out where to apply the the artificial intelligence or the augmented intelligence and it absolutely is this this collaboration I, and i love your hbr article on on ai ai3 which is it's this augmented intelligence it's a human trying to trying to ask the questions and to figure out what data are relevant and then applying the algorithms to figure it out right and that's how we can i mean we can we can get rid of the vast majority of waste in the world just by Manufacturing higher quality goods and not throwing out eight hundred eight hundred and sixty billion dollars of goods in the manufacturing process and and then and then distributing them properly. I mean that that's where we dedicated our company is to apply AI to create a world without waste and why we're so excited about what I think is your really pioneering thinking in this in this area. Uh, I can add so that's 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 it's um, machines you know can decide, but it's. Uh... It's a human's privilege to choose. And uh, it's, uh, I, I don't want to steal the quote. Actually, it came from a great book of Joseph Weizenbaum, one of the pioneers of AI, the creator of Eliza in mid-60s, some, its early prototype of Siri. 
And in his book, Computer Power and Human Reason, he talked about machines deciding and humans choosing. And it sounds like, you know, little semantic difference, but it's very important to understand that if you go deep down and understand why machines did something, it always, because I was told so. And if you go deep down, you know, just, you know, to the bottom of human, human's decision is because I wanted it. So it's, the, it's, it's about choice. And you talked about supply, but, you know, let's you know, look at the vaccines. So it's the, naturally now America, America has to, to help the rest of the world. And we're talking about billions of people that need these vaccines. Now, machine cannot make a decision, for instance, you know, choosing, you know, uh, what is the, what are the priority? So should you work on a booster that will help people in America or Europe being vaccinated, get, get a cert shot because it could help against variants, or you should continue supplying in the rest of the world because some people didn't get it at all. So that's, uh, there's no way machine will do it unless you just put certain parameters there. And I can come up with tons of examples where human choice will actually influence machine's decision. The same is about uh, uh, drones and about killer robots. Again, they will decide. And when people say, oh, it's terrible that they, they're just making these decisions, they're accidents. Yes, but actually human mistakes kill even more people. At the end of the day, we should remember it's our choice that will make machine's decisions predetermined. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I think the the focus on stopping bad AI, this 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 perceived bad things coming from AI, uh, there's so much more energy on that than there is in like using AI for good, for like achieving like good things in the world. And and we have these we have this incredibly powerful technology. And, you know, I, I'm sure there were some people when calculators came around that they thought that cal- that, that was the end of the human brain that because it could do better math than we could or, or you know, better long division. But, you know, I, I'm not afraid my calculator is going to wake up in the night and kill me. Right. Steve, I <laughs> often wonder if, if you say the first big human uh, innovation was the wheel. You know, I often wonder when we started using the wheel for transportation, where, pro- where there are protests saying, well, the people who had to haul all that shit all over the place yeah. aren't going to have to haul it as much and they're going to be out of work. And, you know, no, just say yeah. no to the wheel. Absolutely. Look, yeah, I mean, exactly. what, what about what, what about complaints that the, the, the book, the, 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 uh, the printing press, you know, uh, left so many monks unemployed? <laughs> so, because, no, it's again, it's, it's, it's natural. You know, that's that's that's, you know, that, that's that's why we invented things, you know, to 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 help us, to make us stronger, to make us faster, uh, just to make it more agile. So that's that's. That's that's why you know the human brains just uh, never sees the process of exploration and innovation. Well, Sergey Young now says that uh, humans are going to regularly live to two hundred. That we're on the verge of that now. God knows. We uh, look. We you know it's it's just a you know, trivia question. You know what was the? I think it's like I think nineteen oh seven or nine. What was the average you know uh, lifespan of Americans uh, one hundred ten years ago? I think I think Hold something on, I'll see like, if I can Google it while we're talking. Okay, I, I think I think about forty-seven or forty-eight years. It was th- it was around thirty years in all regions of the world. No, 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 of the world. No, no, I'm talking about America. Not the, no, the you world. Want America. Is, no, no. But uh, by the way, that's good that you picked up the whole world. So when say, oh, this is this is the people are complaining about globalization, about capitalism. Thirty. Now look at today. You know, just in in many African countries, we have over seventy. Again, thanks to capitalism, yeah. thanks to the free market. Yeah. 
Gary, in 1900, for men, it was 46.3, and for women, I, it was, was 48.3. I, I was right. I, was, I said 46. Uh, that's what it is. That's, yes. Yeah. yeah so right. now, now, now you're talking with 75, 80, yes? I'll put in a plug, plug for the book Factfulness. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's, uh, it's a, lot of, you know, a lot of people saying bad things happening in the world, and Factfulness talks about the progress. And one of, one of, one of the statistics is, is lifespan, right? Infant mortality, education of girls. How can how can you even compare? You know, this is the it's the look you know the yeah. world today. It's uh, seventy eight point six now in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. So it's I said eighty eighty percent increase. Yeah. So it's this it's phenomenal and it's and by the way it it keeps you know that COVID probably could bring it a little bit down but but it's still it it keeps growing because we're getting better. And it's and and yeah. now by the way I believe that you know that's what's happened over the last twenty eighteen eighteen two months you know so will will be a big boost to start more work on antibiotics on vaccines so that's that's and in general some research that has been almost frozen because corporations were you know, they were fearful taking risk you know could 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 be punished and now I think that's everybody's welcome to actually come up with some revolutionary ideas how we can help people even even. If it means that, you know, there will be some casualties on the way. Yes. Now, Gary, can I ask you a personal question or two? Uh, you mean all the previous questions were not personal, yes? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they actually were, but they, they... So, you know, to me, you're a rebel, you're a pioneer, you're a difference maker, um, you're an innovator, those types of words apply. And you come from a country where let's say certain kinds of innovations are not appreciated if I could put it mildly. Um, and you, you've tried to run to change things in politics there. You've taken very uh, aggressive stances against the government when you feel a wrong was being made. Um, and, and you have been very high profile about this. You're not a low profile person and there's risk associated with that best I can tell. And so can you help me with how you think about taking these positions and what that means for your life? Since you mentioned personal character of the question, and of course it is personal. So um, I'll probably start answering by going back to my childhood, because that's probably where the roots of my uh, uh, rebellion, my desire to innovate, to be a pioneer, to explore. My father died when I was seven, but I still have some vivid memories of uh, last year because I could memorize things. Uh, and uh, when I was six, when I turned six, I got the best present, best gift. There was the gift in my life. So I got a big globe. We had a very small, tiny apartment in the Soviet Union, but it was a big globe. And the reason he gave me the big globe because uh, a few weeks before, he read to me Stefan Zweig, The Labor of Magellan. And it became my favorite book for many years. Uh, after he died, I read it myself many times. It's about exploration, and it's about people who took enormous risk. Yeah, I know these days, you know, they're being criticized for you know, uh, being profiteers and being cruel. But look, it was the end of 15th century, 15th, 16th century, and they did nothing in America that was not happening in Europe. So that's why for me, again, just at that time, I always saw them taking enormous risk. 
I mean, enormous probably is, is the wrong word because I couldn't even imagine people, you know, turning their ships or just you know, directing their ships into the ocean without a map. We're talking about risk, huh? You are going nowhere in the ocean and you don't have a map. You don't know the distance. You just, you know, you believe that you're probably right because the earth is just, you know, is, 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 is round and you, you find something there on the other side. Other and side. if you don't come back, you know you're going on the adventure of a lifetime, right? Oh, and you take that look, risk. Yeah, but it's but also imagine the conditions. You know, it just says. I remember when in 1992 I saw the the replica of of Santa Maria of of the the Columbus ship. What twenty two meters? I mean, that's that's it's just you know it's the the of yachts now bigger, you know. And they crossed, and that was the biggest, by the way, of three of. And I, you know, I it was so fascinating, and. Uh, and these days was people ask me about, oh, is it risky? I said, yes. But do you worry about you know, your life? Because so many of my friends either killed or in jail or many of them exile. And I always say, would it help? Because there's certain things I cannot stop doing. I believe, you know, that's there's moral duties and responsibilities and I have to carry them through. It's, uh, I learned it from my early days, thanks to my mother. And uh, and some of my close friends. So it's if it's the the motives of a dissidence. If not you, who else? If not you, who else? So it's my duty, and I I'm doing what I can. I'm I'm not playing a game. I'm not trying to win the game. I know that most likely I will not win the game. Doesn't matter. So that's 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 the right thing to do. And um, and I also learned from my mother that the life makes sense if you if you can make the difference. I could. Make difference in chess, you bet. So for decades, I dominated the world of chess, partially because it's not just my talent, but it's not my fighting spirit, but because I wanted to make the difference. I never rested on my laurels. I always wanted to, 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 to explore, to, um, uh, to open new lands, just to push the horizons. And now I'm, I'm doing the same. I believe that you know I can share my experience it's not, not. I'm not as perfect as I was in the game of chess. I I know the limits of my ignorance, but I think you know I have many messages to convey to people, and I'm more than happy to 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 share my experience and just to make people just more advanced and uh, more knowledgeable about things that are important. But on top of that, it's about imagination it's about exploration and it's about ambitions you know just you know i think it's, people have to be motivated i believe that we're limited only by limits of our ambitions and now as we spoke about the power of, of devices we have in our hands do we use them productively absolutely not so i think that you know it's very important for people to recognize so many things can be done you know and, and it's not by limiting us i'm while you know, I understand that we have to save the planet. I'm not happy to hear that we have to start, you know, uh, sort of limiting our demands because oh, we have we cannot do this and that. No, I think the answer is the opposite. We just have to, you know, choose to find new ways. You know, we just I want us to go to the space because I believe in one of the asteroids we find something which can help us to eliminate oil and 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 other fossil fuel. It's just statistically, you know, it's always happened. You are in a, you, if you're exploring, you find something that you, that's, you didn't expect. And, um, and I, you know, I'm here to convey the message. Well, which leads me to, um, you know, a big question that you've certainly begun to answer. 
Um, but I'm curious to pop the hood on this with you. You're a man who has done many, many things and has lived many lives. Uh, and being socially and politically active is huge. But also being a voice for leading itch, itch technology seems to be very important to you. And so of all the things that you could do, why have you chosen to get in, getting involved with, you know, Silicon Valley AI startups as one of them? Look, I, technology is, is not alien to me. So I, I have been uh, uh, fascinated by computers since early 80s, when I just, actually 1983, when I first time saw Acorn computers in my semifinal candidate match against Victor Korsha in London. And since 1985, I've been working with some German friends, experts, uh, uh, and convince them to build chess base. So I was involved in code IT world um, as an advisor and probably, you know, motivating force from mid eighties. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I select, you know, some of my corporations, I believe that they should, uh, they should fit, you know, my profile because I'm, I know, again, I know the limits of my ignorance, but I want, you know, to serve a good cause. And it's very important that, you know, it is the, the, the power of AI will be used productively. As Steve said, you know, it's just so much talk about bad AI. I don't believe in bad AI. AI is AI. It's a tool. It's not, you know, harbinger of utopia or dystopia. It's not a magic wand, but it's not a terminator. It's a tool created by humans. And the problem is bad humans. Humans still have monopoly for evil. So that's why I treasure, you know, the companies that are trying to use AI for good. And, uh, you know, I, I receive offers and I work with very few companies, but Noodle AI, you know, attracted me because they want to use it, you know, very productively to, to, yeah, to improve things by, by sort of maximizing the effect of human-machine collaboration. And that's, you know, that's how we should move forward. And again, I, I, I'm not, as I said, you know, I'm not in favor of saving the planet by trying just, you know, to, to close down the businesses. Actually, to find the new ways of using modern technology to serve us. It's the, the, the solution is to move forward, not backward. And that's what I like, you know, about this, this, the, the, the program that was, uh, was uh, uh, presented by Doodle AI. And I feel that, you know, I'm serving a good cause. Wow, that was a great answer. Now, gentlemen, I know I don't have you forever, although I'd like you forever. Um, is there anything else that uh, either of you would like to touch on before we wrap? Well, I just want to say I, I, I thought that uh, Garia, your the your comment about about your courage and your life and 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 your your being a, a pioneer, I thought that was that was really beautiful. And I want to thank you for your service to to moving everybody forward. I think I think I mean it's uh, I, you know I, I I would really love to explore like did that early exploration and the and the labor of Magellan and the and the globe lead lead your thinking to your your pioneering chess playing and and being able to dominate everyone else i mean there's something in there something in your brain right said like i i it's almost fearless right and then i think that was your reputation as being the youngest chess champion in the world at 22 years old i mean i, I that's uh so anyway, I mean, when I heard you speak, actually, at my son's graduation, I said, like, I would love to be affiliated with him <laughs> because he's 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 like what he's you're saying exactly the things that 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 we uh, on a good day, you know, live up to. Right. 
we, 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 we try to do it on, and on good days. It's we do. Right. So, uh, anyway, I just want to thank you for that. I thought it was great. Yes, Steve, thank you very much. So I, I, uh, I cannot tell you exactly now. So how I get here from there. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, and actually, you know, my mother played a crucial role in, in my uh, chess career. So, and without her, I wouldn't, uh, be able to achieve, you know, this phenomenal results, but, uh, uh, but it's, you know, it's while, you know, it was very important and that's, you know, those were the glorious years of being on top of the world of chess. I also have to say that, you know, that's the, 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 the transition that I did thanks to my wife. So, uh, that was equally important because look, I left professional chess at, uh, age 41. So just before turning 42, now I'm 58 and I feel I'm relevant. So it's very important that we always feel relevant. So it's not about your age. It's about, you know, how much you can share with others, how much you can, you know, uh, bring in into the game. And, um, and the transition from being best in the world of chess for, for two decades into being a, a powerful voice in many areas that are a little different, but like cybersecurity, AI, uh, human rights, geopolitics, but they, all, they have some sort of connections and finding these connections. And that's I'm grateful to 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 my wife, and that's that's as we build this this life, you know, uh, starting from virtually not from the scratch. I had my my notoriety, so it's in a good sense. Uh, but still, it's um, it's important that you know I, I don't feel age now because I know that I still have something to to contribute, and that's the message for people of our age, you know. It's it's you can always find your spot. It's just it's the machines are not enemies. It's machines are tools, and there will be opportunities for our wisdom, for our experience to be incorporated in this new world. I guess maybe one question more, if I could sneak it in, which is, um, what do you think that little boy in that little apartment who got that globe would say about the guy that uh, Steve and I have been talking to for the last hour or so? Look, I I was six year old, and I. Uh, Probably I didn't know much, but I I would be fascinated just to talk to this man because I would be surprised to find out that this man traveled around the world and visited more than 100 countries, as my daughter recently calculated. Because growing up in the Soviet Union, you didn't expect to travel at all outside of your country. And uh, I think this boy would be very much impressed to find out that, you know, it's this, this, the many routes on this globe that looked like just, you know, some, something from, from a sci-fi, some, just something that, is just, that was just from another world, became part, part of his later life. Thank you for that. And I also want to thank you, Gary, for um, your radical humanity today and sharing your life and Again, um, I'm so terribly sorry to hear about your losses. Yeah, look, it's life. Uh, we just have to move forward. Thank you. Gentlemen, I can't thank you enough. Bless you, and uh, you're both welcome back anytime. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank hey, you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks.
Well, there they are, the legendary Gary Kasparov and my good friend, entrepreneur and CEO of Noodle AI, Steve Pratt. For more on Gary, visit Kasparov.com. That's K-A-S-P-A-R-O-V.com. And you can find Steve at Noodle.ai. And don't forget to check him out on episode 139 of Follow Your Different. Also, I want to let you know about some incredible episodes that we have uh, coming up. You know, I got to tell you, I never thought when I started this quote unquote job of podcasting that it would lead to meeting so many of today's forward leading thinkers. And uh, it's amazing. And I'm so glad to share these conversations with you. For example, we have coming up in no particular order. Dr. Avi Loeb, who is the senior astronomer at Harvard University and the first the first academic of his credential level to come out and say, we have been visited by aliens and he's coming back for his second visit with us. Uh, we have an episode coming up soon with an entrepreneur named Sergey Young. And uh, Sergey is the founder of the Longevity Vision Fund. And he's a new category of venture capitalist who invests exclusively in uh, longevity technologies. And he has got a new book coming out called The Science and Technology of Growing Young. And we have a stunner of a conversation. Another one I wanted to tell you about is uh, Marty Cooper is coming. And Marty Cooper is arguably one of the most impactful inventors and category designers in the history of technology. And most people don't even know who he is. You see, Marty was the leader at Motorola who invented the cell phone. He's in his 90s, and he's coming up soon. In addition, we have a spectacular woman named jo Joanne Molinaro. She's better known as the Korean vegan, and she's a, uh, a lawyer turned uh, writer and, of course, vegan blogger, um, and she's, uh, she's incredible. We have a super fun conversation. She's got a new book coming out soon. And speaking of new books sort of the business book of the summer for many, particularly those who want something great to kick back and read while they're, uh, while they're uh, recharging their batteries. My friend, uh, one of the grand dames of uh, PR and marketing in Silicon Valley, Sabrina Horn, is coming on soon. Her new book is out. It's called Make It, Don't Fake It. I loved it, and you're going to love our conversation. So um, those are just a couple we have in the can coming up. Don't forget to hit subscribe to, um, to uh, follow your different on whatever your oddcast player of choice is, and you will get all of those and more. Now, if you're a business owner, uh, you might be making running your business harder than necessary. And why would you want to do that? Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. Now is the time to upgrade and invest in NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it and ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software that you've outgrown. Now is the time for NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control that you need over all elements of your business from financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place instantaneously. So whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money today with Oracle NetSuite. Visit netsuite.com slash different for your free product tour. That's netsuite.com slash different. And today, more than ever, legendary businesses are digital businesses. And um, now's the time to accelerate your digital transformation with Splunk. Splunk is the leader in data to everything, bringing data to every question, every decision, and every action. With Splunk, you can build a more resilient and responsive organization while exceeding customer expectations 
in the data age. Visit splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. That's splunk.com slash D to E. And if you like being healthy, one of the simplest, most powerful changes you can make is to whole plant milk, uh, organic flax milk from my friends at Malibu Milk with Milk with a Y. Visit MalibuMilk.com today. All right. We would like to thank the legendary Gary Kasparov and Steve Pratt. What an incredible conversation. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I deeply appreciate it. Uh, my friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Visit the uh, number one, LifeFullyLived.org today. And if you want to scale you, if you need an assistant uh, who is nowhere near you, somebody that's been physically distancing since before that was a thing, check out my friends at bottleneck.online today. Uh, Atranet has been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check out atre.net today. And if you're a thought leader and you want to get your leading thoughts on leading podcasts, check out my friends at interviewvalet.com. That's interviewvalet.com and get your leading thoughts on leading podcasts. And don't forget to go to lockhead.com and subscribe to Category Pirates. Today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. And we would love you just a little bit extra if you shared the shit out of it. Please contact your mystic lawyer, mother, father, oncologist, psychologist, uh, and definitely spouse before acting on any of today's information. All rights do remain perturbed. We are produced and edited by the GOAT, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Sarah Knox and Jamie J do legendary technical execution around here, and they build Lockhead.com. Show notes by GM Simon. Remember to spread podcasts, not viruses. And get out of the left lane. It's the passing lane. Thank you to all of our our firefighting heroes. We deeply appreciate you. Remember to learn to play chess. Listen to KD Lang. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Greg Clark, former CEO of Symantec. Sorry, Greg. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. Please stay safe. Stay legendary. And until we're together again... Follow your different.